Hello, welcome once again to Caves Across Apologetics. I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. And we are uh, in the midst of Chapter 5, our uh, kind of penultimate chapter almost, uh, yeah. even though it's the last chapter of the series, for Truth in the Culture of Doubt. And, uh, of course, we're uh, walking through our uh, good friend Bart Ehrman's uh, claims against the, the the forgeries of the New Testament. And so far, um, we haven't found uh, too much in, in uh, what he's got here, but um, we have looked through uh, uh, three of them uh, of that the, the New Testament wasn't actually written by uh, companions of Jesus. Uh, and even if they were written, uh, they were too biased to be accurate. Uh, we also saw that uh, they were too illiterate, so obviously they couldn't write these things. Right. And our final one uh, last time was that uh, internal claims uh, for the, the, the New Testament were uh, so outlandish, they used too many words or not enough, or they had theological differences. And so uh, we have uh, two more so left that were, were. Yeah, they were written covered. by other. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Much later, uh, <laughs> they were mixed in with all these other um, uh, heresies and just the, the good ones won out. And so we'll figure right. out how the, the good ones won out in the end uh, in our last claim here. Uh, but uh, uh, we're starting off with our uh, second to last claim of claim four. Other forms of Christianity were uh, represented in various other writings which have equally as valid a claim to Christianity as the 27 canonical New Testament books. And oh. so we just picked 27 because they were the winners. Yeah, but, but what about the rest of them, right? right? I mean, they're just as equally valid as the, the ones that w were chosen. Right, right? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> right? Well, this argument uh, our authors tell us makes uh, the false assumption that there is no way to distinguish between the books included in right. the New Testament and the books that were excluded, mm -hmm. right? They're all just the same. There's no difference between them. There's no way to distinguish that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. right? So across the theological spectrum, almost all scholars agree that the materials representing divergent forms of Christianity, for instance, the Apocrypha is what we call mm -hmm. it, right, are from the second and third centuries. Well, there is a way to distinguish, right? right. <laughs> yeah, they right. came much, much later. Yeah. Yeah. We, we don't put uh, the the, um, the Quran in with the, the New Testament because right. it came 600 years later. Yeah, right. So, so what's more, most of the works uh, carted out in favor of this argument have no conceptual links uh, with the first century, mm -hmm. right? So we have time, and then we also have the content of the uh, of the other books, right? So the the fact is that uh, none of the apocryphal gospels were even ever considered for inclusion in the New Testament canon. It just didn't mm. happen. Yeah. And so, in fact, uh, uh, Cicero of Jerusalem in the fourth century specifically warns against the reading of the Gospel of Thomas in churches. Mm. Uh, and uh, in Origen, lists Thomas as one of the apocryphal apocryphal heterodoxical gospels right. so if you think anybody would want to read another thing it's origin because oh well maybe i can draw something from this to use in my odd teaching format it's origin <laughs> but he says well well even the gospel of thomas we don't want to go there yeah. and th yeah. that's it's clear it's it's all these are uh being written and being used and uh they're, they're happening later than what the um the, the four gospels are and there's a really good history of why four and just four and actually not just those four but those four that are always attributed to the same to the gospel Person. of yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's really interesting are always associated with the same yeah 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 conversely the majority of scholars agree that most if not all the new testament documents were completed by the end of the first century mm -hmm. right so there's the time issue right right uh, what is left is then our authors want to do uh, is to sketch out the characteristics of these later non-canonical 
uh, writings to see their lack of historical legitimacy in comparison with the New Testament. So that's what they want to kind of walk us through here. Right. Now, they say that we cannot interact with all of the apocryphal writings here. The response that they're going to give us, though, provides a brief survey of the writings that Erdman implies are equally legitimate <laughs> with the New Testament writings, right. right? So let's see if these books, and there's several here, sure. uh, writings rather, are equally legitimate to New Testament writings, right? right? <laughs> so there's not too many of them because they really haven't survived well because no one really read them, so <laughs> so we don't have a lot. But, uh, but we do have some. So Letters of uh, Ptolemy, uh, a Gnostic uh, wrote Ptolemy's epistle to Flora in the second century, probably around AD uh, 150, 170, around so there. So it's later in time. Very right. later, yeah. yeah. Uh, its writer was committed to the form of Gnosticism in which the Old Testament was not from the true God, but from an intermittent deity, the Demiurge. Right. Yeah. So here's a, you know, a different source of the Old Testament. So that's different in content because the uh, clearly the New Testament doesn't say right. that, right? No. They, they quote from a, a Authoritative mm-hmm. from the uh, from the Old Testament, and they claim that you know it was uh, God, the the God of Israel, who did it. Right. right? Yeah. Right. The New Testament documents also d- don't have this uh, understanding. Uh, this is very, very Greek Roman esque in the the pantheon there uh, to have this uh, kind of demiurge. Uh, the author claimed neither to be an original follower of Jesus, which has tend to be one of the, the authoritative sources that the the early church looked at, nor a companion of an original follower. So mm. someone like Mark that was transcribing what Peter did, or uh, James, or, or um, so they Titus don't even claim yeah. claim that there are any of these right. things. Right. Yeah. So there is a vast gulf separating the New Testament and the letter of Ptolemy in terms of both date and content. Yeah. So yeah. a little different. How about the letter of Barnabas? Right? Oh, the I letter of Barnabas. Barnabas, yeah, Barnabas is Barnabas one of my was, favorite characters. Yeah, he's a good he's guy. He's an unsung right? hero. He was rich. <laughs> he decided to give it up. He went back to his island. He took John Mark with him because John Mark was just a little kid that was... T- tearing Paul, him and Paul apart. I love Barnabas, so yeah. we should read one of his letters. <laughs> so this letter claims to have been written by Barnabas, right? <laughs> uh, the companion of Paul mentioned in uh, the book of Acts. In fact, it was written in the second century by an unknown author. Oh, man. Right? So again, we have the time issue there, right? It, it wasn't written by a Barnabas who would have known Paul, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> yeah. right. Uh, Gospel of Thomas. The Gospel of Thomas contains 114 sayings of Jesus. Many of these sayings are strange and esoteric, but some of them sound similar to the words of Jesus found in the canonical Gospels. Several characteristics distinguish Thomas from the New Testament Gospels. Yeah, so this first, you know, the Gospel of Thomas has no storyline. Right. He's not telling the story here, right? It includes no account of Jesus' death, uh, or birth, death, or, or resurrection, right. right? Just kind of a series of sayings here. Second, the broad consensus is that Thomas was written in the middle to late second century, much later than, you know, the canonical do- uh, Gospels. Right. And third, at times, Thomas appears dependent uh, on the New Testament material. Right. right. So, um, Kostenberger and, uh, and Kruger, uh, Michael J. Kruger, oh, <laughs> you know, can't, can't get away with saying his name. So, uh, they say this in one of their books. Uh, it is not surprising then that uh, Thomas is never mentioned in any early canonical list. It is not found in any of our New Testament manuscript collections. Ne- it never figured prominently in canonical discussions and was often was condemned outright by a variety of church fathers. So, right. it's Don't not read just like, this one. Right. So, <laughs> but it's just equally valid. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> just don't read it. Yeah, it, it's fine. It's it's good. It can stay in, but you know, let's 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 figure out what's important here. Yeah. The four. <laughs> no, that's not the case. Thus, if Thomas does uh, represent uh, authentic original Christianity, then it has left very little historical evidence to that yeah, fact. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> it's, copies and even the copies we do have large blanks in, in it um, um, due to weathering, and we just don't have the abundance of different types of manuscripts that we we do have with the rest of the um, uh, four Gospels. Well, how about the Gospel of Philip? Maybe that can help yeah. us, right? <laughs> so the Gospel of Philip was a Gnostic document, uh, likely written in the third century. Wow. Right? Certainly long like, after the time of the apostles, right. right? Philip was never considered in any discussion concerning canonical books, and there's a vast gulf regarding both date and content between the Gospel of Philip and the New Testament Gospels, right? right? So Philip has to be out, and it's not equally valid, right? right? Ah, Gospel of Mary. Okay, we know Mary, Mary, Mary. And, yeah. and, and all her sayings yeah. that she's well known for. The Gospel of Mary is another Gnostic gospel. Gnostic. Yeah, right. Well, you know, we learned this from, from Dan Brown, the, the historian Dan Brown and the Da Vinci Code, the historic Da Vinci Code. Uh, it was written in the second century and has no claim of being based on eyewitness testimony. Moreover, it appears to be developing New Testament material from the author's own for the for the purposes of the author's own Gnostic purposes, mm. so again, late, different, not based on eyewitness testimony, uh, anything like that, and uh, different kind of yeah, content, a right? little weird, so yeah. fun stuff. Well, um, the Gospel of Nicodemus, ah. surely that fits. Going back right? to John three, <laughs> most yeah. famous, everyone at a sporting event. Instead of holding up John 3.16, needs to hold up Gospel of Nicodemus. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, the problem with this one is the Gospel of Nicodemus was likely written in the 5th or 6th century. Ouch. Yeah. That, that was, so in that contrast was to the Gospel narratives of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the Gospel of Nicodemus tells a fictional story of an interaction between Jesus and Pontius Pilate and of Jesus' actions in hell between his death and resurrection. Right. Right? Uh, so the Gospel of Nicodemus is also never mentioned in any of the canonical discussions. And there are no good reasons for affirming the historical legitimacy of the events described in this particular book. Right. So it's out. Right. Right? Uh, very, very late. <laughs> The survey makes clear that historical credentials are severely lacking from the apocryphal gospels and letters mentioned by Ehrman. In closing, it is important to mention an important study by Bruce Metzger. Again, uh, this is the, the, the well-known, respected scholar that Ber Ehrman uh, uh, was his mentor in Princeton. Mm -hmm. He worked alongside, he wrote several books with him. Um, he holds, still holds some of the copyright and changes them from time to time, uh, but we won't get into that, uh, which makes the point that these books that in due course were included in the canon were functioning as authoritative before they became part of any canonical list. Mm. So what does that mean? We don't need a list in order to say, all right, here's the, the today uh, in, in, in 80, um, 73 on March 2, uh, <laughs> here's the books of uh, the, here's the gospels we can use. Yeah. Matthew. Uh, uh, you know, Peter. Well, okay, maybe not Peter. We'll we'll put that on the so side. So the, the, these gospels were already <laughs> in use. They were already authoritative. People were already reading them. I mean, you know, right. it, it was not that they were somehow selected, right? right. Yeah, right. And, and it assumes this kind of top-down approach of the leaders have declared that these are authoritative. It's mm -hmm. no, the church recognized them. So they understood them as as God's word, and they were then attributed and understood. And then once leaders or the the um, 
um, the, the deacons and, and bishops and such uh, reference them through different writings, then you can point to it and say, oh, here's a published exterior. Well, they're already being used yeah. as, as yeah. Uh, Metzger and Ehrman have pointed out before. <laughs> so it was not an authoritative choice of books that gave them their position. Instead, authoritative books were already functioning as such and recognized as such. And yeah. I think um, uh, uh, um, Canon Revisited by... Michael J. Kruger <laughs> talks about this, is, and he's responding to different types of uh, canonicities um, that uh, that um, people have put forward, and he puts his own forward. So mm. Uh, mm. it's a good book. Yeah. So we did away with all the uh, heretical uh, gospels and realized that they're far too late. They yeah, don't they, belong they with any list. They don't have the same validity yep. as the New Testament, right? They're late. They they talk about different content, right? They're pushing most of them Gnosticism and that sort of thing, right? So, yeah, they they uh, they're nowhere near comparing, right? Right. Uh, so then we have to use um, our best weapon, which is the canon itself, to suppress those heretical documents that we don't want in there. We don't want to people to know that Jesus was married or that, uh, that he taught reincarnation. Uh, so how do we suppress that? <laughs> yeah. I don't know why we want to suppress it, but we do. Uh, uh, it probably, there's probably a saying in there that Jesus says, um, this means for everybody, sell all your possessions, give it to poor and, and live in the dirt. That's, that, that's what I don't want to do that. Let's suppress that one. That's a good one to suppress. So here, here's here's the the fifth and final claim. Uh, the proto orthodox used the canon as a as a weapon to impose their own brand of theology on all forms of Christianity, and eventually succeeded in the fourth century by way of powerful church of this period. All right. So they use these sets of this set of books as a weapon. Right, we're going to make sure that what we believe is what everybody believes, and you better hold to it. And so these are the ones that you have to stick to, mm-hmm. and this is it. Right, right, or you're out. Yeah, right? and they won by at least the the fourth century. <laughs> yeah. So this argument, our authors tell us, uh, leaves the wrong impression with leaders, suggesting that uh, with readers rather, suggesting that uh, the Christian canon is only a political tool u- used in service of a power grab by the proto-orthodox, right. right? And our authors tell us that nothing could be further from the truth, right? First. The main thrust of the canon was recognized long before Orthodox Christians. This is a point we were making mm-hmm. before, right? It was recognized long before Orthodox Christians had the power to um, and the political force to, you know, to force these books to be used, right? right? They, it was recognized when they were running from Romans, right, and that sort of thing, yeah, the, right? In, in the heat of, of your sprint, you don't figure out what what the importance. I'm going to use this book as a power. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell it to. To Caesar, right? Yeah, tell it to the judge. <laughs> <laughs> so while there are some debates concerning the peripheral books like, you know, Second Peter and Second and Third John, James and Jude during this time, uh, you know, the core was apparently well established by at least the middle of the second century. Mm-hmm. Right. right. <laughs> Moreover, the Old Testament was a vital part of this core set of books. I don't really have to uh, go to the old threshing floor again. You, yeah. You, you've, yeah. You've, you've, you've Fought that fight. It's it's there. Uh, um, we're using it. Marines are using it. Uh, Paul is using it. Peter's using it. And most of them who are Jews were using it. So yeah, there's, they were there's preaching no from it. They were yeah, yeah teaching yeah, from it. It's only yeah. the Gnostics that want to <laughs> attribute it to a demiurge and, and throw it out. 
so these uh, this this Old Testament was from the beginning uh, used in the Christian era. Therefore, writings such as those associated with Gnosticism would have been ruled out since they denied the legitimacy of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when when Paul says to the Bereans, um, uh, "Here's the gospel message," and he uh, Condemns, uh, com- commends them uh, for searching the scripture to see if what he says was accurate. What scripture are they using? Yeah, yeah. it's the Old Testament. It is the Old Why Testament. Why is he? Yeah. Shouldn't he be going? No, no, no. Hold on. That that God there, that he's really bad. He's right. he's this this demiurge that uh, 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 he reports to a, a even worse God. <laughs> and so the Old Testament yeah. isn't legitimate, right. right? So you shouldn't be reading that. Right. No, no, no. That's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have the Muratorian uh, Muratorian fragment, the earliest ex- extent uh, witnessed uh, to the commonly recognized canonical books, uh, which uh, is usually put around uh, AD one uh, AD one eighty, affirms. For New Testament Gospels and only those Gospels. Yeah, so and this meritor- meritorium fragment is an important piece of historical uh, literature because it kind of tells us early on what they considered as authoritative. Right, right. right. And it's not just this, uh, hereby we decree <laughs> that this, these are the four and only four. Yeah. It seems like it's already been in use. So uh, this makes it likely that the four canonical Gospels were widely established previous to the time of these sayings, mm-hmm. which means that they were circulating together as Scripture in the beginning of the uh, to middle of the second century. Right. Right. Similarly, there was impressive early unity in affirming a collection of Paul's letters. Paul's canonical letters were used frequently by the early church fathers. Irenaeus, for instance, in um, AD uh, 180, affirms all of Paul's letters uh, included in the New Testament letters except for Philemon. Which may make sense because he's writing it to a person, so Philemon may not have wanted to get it out there as quickly as, right. as what's necessary. Yeah. But then the, the eBay of the time made him go, oh, this is, this is important. All right, here we go. <laughs> right, and, and in addition, all 13 letters traditionally attributed to Paul are again listed in the moratorium um, right. fragment. Right? Yeah, so Irenaeus and the, the, the fragment are kind of the two earliest, most important pieces that we can point to that say, uh, here, here's where the... The, um, the, the the 27 books of the New Testament are being used regularly, authoritatively, um, and we can point to that. But that's not to say that all of a sudden, boom, 8180, that's, that's when it happened. That's when it was codified. It seems like it was already being the case. Yeah, it was already being used. Right. Yeah. So second, Ehrman fails to uh, emphasize that uh, due to the theological convictions of early Christians about the foundational role of the apostles, there was a built-in sense that the canon was closed after the apostolic time period had ended. Right. So, you know, again, they focused on was this, you know, is this from the apostles? Is it, are, you know, is this from the folks right. who sat at the feet of Jesus, who knew Jesus, who saw Jesus, Right. Um, and so that helped make, uh, you know, the canonical um, writings authoritative. Right, right, right. The early church fathers didn't say, oh, uh, I'm opening the canon back up again because th- what I just wrote was really good. And so clearly <laughs> from God because no one could write a sentence like this. No, they didn't do that. They, they were always referring back to not the church but to scripture. Yeah. Uh, for example, the Muratorian fragment of the 2nd century, the shepherd of her uh, 
the shepherd of Hermas is rejected as scripture because it was written very recently in our time. Right. So it wasn't written back so, then again, by 80, the apostles or those associated with the apostles. It was re- it was rejected here, they say, because it was written mm-hmm. recently. Right. So right. they were looking back in terms of giving uh, in order to give authoritative uh uh, you know, authority to a particular mm-hmm. writing, right? And and that's not to say that the shepherd of Hermas was was read in a church setting or utilized for preaching, but we do that today. We bring in outside sources sometimes to to emphasize points within scripture or uh, to talk about um, uh, you know the the current political or cultural makeup, and so uh, we point to those things. Not to say that they're authoritative, but um, back then it's not just oh. Only these could be read in a church setting, but Shepherd Hermas was as well. Shepherd Hermas is important and should be studied and read, just not considered authoritative. Right, not scripture. Right. So in summary, uh, though achieving a universally recognized 27-book closed New Testament canon was a lengthy process, labeling the canon as a weapon used by the church to stamp out legitimate diversity conceals more than it reveals. Mm. All the canonicity... Of some peripheral books remain debated in the third and fourth centuries, as they sometimes are still today. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, you know, uh, everyone has to point back to uh, James and Martin Luther. <laughs> uh, by the end of the first century, the core books of the New Testament were widely recognized as canonical books. So, which books? What, what Bible do you Christians use? Well, you, we point back to the same ones that the early church used and recognized. Yes, it wasn't fully. You know, it, uh, you know the, the the pie was cooling on the windowsill, uh, and and we we sometimes want to put our finger in a little too too quickly, but and it was still warm. Ouch. Uh, but you know, uh, you have you have things like Revelation was considered. I mean, that out of any book, you'd think, yeah. oh, okay, hold on, let's let's hold on a second. <laughs> Dragons and uh, eating babies somewhere, <laughs> and uh, these scorpion things. What yeah. what no. Authoritative. In fact, yeah. uh, Church Fathers, one of the most cited uh, uh, books of the canon, mm. Revelation. Mm. Wow. So, okay. Wow. So this is remarkably early recognition of the core books of the canon. Yeah. Right? And this is especially surprising in light of, notice, no formal or universal universal structure to right. there's, declare there's no themselves. might of Rome yeah, at this point right? in time. Right. There's, <laughs> yeah, there's no, you know, we, you know, you know, christen these books yeah, kind right? of thing. No, they were just recognized as the core books of the canon, right? So their, product, their production during the, uh, they were recognized due to the idea that they were produced during the apostolic period, right? They were recognized due to the idea that their connection with the apostles, so not only were they in, back in time, but they were also associated with the apostles. And finally, uh, their theology, Right. right. It fit within the story and theology of the Old Testament canon. Right. So those are reasons why these various books were recognized. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Or at least some of the reasons. Yeah. And obviously, you can do more studies and, and say, oh, th- this one has more Old Testament uh, uh, citations. Why wasn't this included? All those are important and should be known. But that's for a different book. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so our authors close uh, with uh, this section titled A League of Their Own. Wow. And they go on to say this, that the apocryphal writings were written in the second and third century by people who didn't know Jesus or the apostles. This Ehrman does not dispute. Hmm. Yet he still at times implies that the apocryphal books were as equally legitimate as the New Testament documents and could have and maybe should have been included 
in the canon. Mm. The arguments in this chapter have shown that these uh, apocryphal writings are not even the same league as far as historical credentials go as the New Testament. They're not widely used. They're not widely recognized. They're not set. Uh, they're not uh, copied that that often. That's right. Um, they they don't uh, they don't take the importance of the Old Testament into account. They weren't written by the apostles or those associated with the apostles. Some of them were spoken against being utilized in the first place as well yeah. uh, by by well-known people. Uh, and so at some point you have to determine what, what your standard is for, for delineating, like what, why don't we include the satanic Bible in there? It has the word Bible in it. Why are we, <laughs> why, why do we throw that out? Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, you know, if we have to go down that road, that's, that's a little odd, but uh, the things like, uh, well, why don't we include uh, uh, the Latter-day Saints, the, the, the Mormons? Why don't we staple the end of their book in? Well, maybe because it's happening way, way later. Yeah. Or, Again, uh, Islam. Why? Why do we take? Why don't we take Muhammad's forty Arabic words about who Jesus is as authoritative? Well, because he's writing in a, a context and a and six centuries later, and so uh, we we wouldn't have any idea other than divine revelation that uh, that he's accurate, and the very fact that uh, you have the Quran saying uh, uh, rely on the people of the book to understand their scripture and. Our scripture denounces their scripture, so by process of their own standard, uh, it fails. And so, uh, you know, that's why one of the reasons why we don't use the Quran. So yeah. at, at some point you have to make this determination, this delineation, and the church was doing that. The church understood that um, that the apostles were um, uh, there, uh, mandated by, by Jesus himself to understand, to, to recall these words, to develop uh, a... a, a, a uh, Old Testament-like um, standard of passing down this. And so you don't want it only done in a, a, a context of the spoken word. You want it written down as well so it can be easily copied and transferred and hidden, and all these things. When people die and people get hunted down, uh, you hopefully have people and written documents. It's, right. not, it's not one or so, the other. So right, right. You have the oral tradition and the written documents. Right, right. right. It's, yeah. it's very important, especially for that time. So period. are many New Testament documents forged? It doesn't seem like. Right. Yeah, <laughs> not New Testament documents. Yeah. So one of them. Piecemeal yeah. them. Yeah. And so I think that's what this uh, particular chapter has uh, shown us. Right. right. All right. Uh, so those are kind of the, the walk through Bart Ehrman's uh, claims and most of his books at, at the time of the writing of, of this book, Truth and the Culture of Doubt. Uh, we are going to do um, the conclusions and uh, a summary uh, of, for uh, next time, and uh, hopefully you'll join us back then. We appreciate you uh, sharing, liking, subscribing, uh, all those fun things. Thanks for uh, checking us out on, and our friends on other platforms. Uh, thanks for um, not being too mad at me for losing to church history trivia, but I, I got at least the, the, uh, the, one of the philosophy questions, right? So Tony would be mad at me. And once the cameras go off, he would be very, very angry. So, but we got, I got it. So, um, so thanks for joining us and uh, hopefully we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time.